Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest. And then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have. So let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. This week's guest needs no introduction. Kara Newberry, ASCA's Director of Government Affairs and Regulatory Council, is here today to share what ASCs need to do to start acting on CMS's 2023 final Medicare rule. Kara walks us through reimbursement rates, the covered procedures list, the complexity adjustment policy, and more. In our news recap, we'll cover five trends ASCs need to know in 2023, how a hospital recovered $35,000 worth of lost instrument in nine months, tips for adopting new tech in 2023, and of course, end the new segment with a positive story about a doctor who saved two lives during a half marathon. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in Surgery Centers. Kara, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you joining us today. Um, and I know that many of our listeners are going to be familiar with you and your name, you know, g- given the work that you do in, in this industry and advocating for this industry. But for those that, that may not know you, um, can you give us a little bit of an overview on on yourself and uh, and the work that you do? Sure, absolutely. Um, so Kara Newberry, I work for the Ambulatory Surgery Center Association. I've been with ASCA for uh, more than 11 years now, and my current role is Regulatory Council and Director of Government Affairs. Uh, so I'm basically spearheading all of the advocacy work that um, ASCA does. Fantastic. And we're, we're excited to have you on in general, but super excited with this timing. Um, with CMS uh, publishing their final ruling just a couple weeks ago, I believe, uh, and wanted wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. You know, there's there's folks that we talk to trying to interpret and understand different pieces, and so if it's okay, I wanted to ask you a couple kind of clarifying questions as it relates Absolutely. to the ruling. Uh, so to start, can you give our listeners a quick overview of the increases to Medicare reimbursement rates for for 2030? Sure. Um, So I'll just start out by saying, you know, because usually I'm uh, called a Debbie Downer when when I give some of these updates. So, um, you know, it it was slightly uh, more positive than was in the proposed rule. So I have to start out, I guess, with a little bit of a positive. Uh, So the effective update for ASCs uh, is 3.8%. you know, obviously 3.8% is nowhere near what we know our facilities are facing in terms of increased costs, um, staffing costs, uh, supplies, you know, overhead. So, you know, we are, we're disappointed that it wasn't higher, but it was, like I said, at least a little better than the 2.7% effective update that had been in the proposed rule. Got it. And can you tell us a little bit about the changes to the ASC covered procedure list? Sure. So every year, um, CMS, um, primarily led by their medical officers, is looking at and evaluating procedures that may uh, be eligible for addition to the ASC covered procedure list for the coming year. Um, 
And unfortunately, you know, once again, playing Debbie Downer role, I guess, but um, they had only proposed one procedure to be added to the list. Um, and ASCA had submitted, I think, uh, 37 codes for their consideration. We had gone to our members and done a survey to ask what procedures uh, our members were doing on, you know, private pay market that they thought would be safe for uh, Medicare beneficiaries. Um, and in the proposed rule, they only added one. In the final rule, uh, they did increase that to four. So there were four um, procedures that uh, were added to the ASC cover procedure list for 2023, uh, probably most significant to uh, the listeners and at least our members would be uh, CPT code 19307. That's a medical, uh, I'm sorry, that's a, um, radical mastectomy code um, that we have been requesting for some time now. Um, but all the procedures that we had you know, asked CMS for um, are done primarily in the outpatient space. So although we are disappointed that there were only four procedures added, you know, we're excited that in the future CMS is going to start a new nomination process. Uh, where, you know, any interested uh, stakeholders, so all the listeners uh, for this podcast, hopefully you'll submit codes um, in the future that you think uh, should be payable in the Medicare space. Um, unfortunately, that process has been delayed, and so that won't start until January 1, 2024, which would be effective for 2025 rulemaking. Uh, so we have a little bit of time before that and goes into place. So um, ASCA is planning on being very proactive in uh, 2023. We're um, scheduling a meeting uh, to go speak with Medicare uh, medical officers in January or early February to present codes that we would like to see added. Uh, one of the primary codes that we're pushing hard for in future rulemaking, so it wouldn't be 2024 at the earliest, but one of the codes we're pushing for is total shoulder um, arthroplasty. It's far and away the procedure lately that's been uh, getting the most traction and, you know, had the most requests from our members. So, you know, more to come on that, but um, I will just put in a quick plug to anyone listening. If you have any um, outcomes data, um, from your facility, uh, specifically on total shoulder, we would welcome that information. Um, CMS is very interested in, you know, seeing actual data. Um, and like I said, you know, how um, the procedures, how many procedures are being performed, we can typically pull that kind of information. We have access to volume data, but they are looking um, at outcomes data, you know, so they can show that, um, there'll be safe uh, procedures to be performed in ASC. So any help uh, we can get, we would welcome that. Very helpful. And 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 just, you know, there's a couple follow-up questions there. For, from a context perspective, you said there was four procedures in the final rule. How, how does that compare to previous years? So it's fairly consistent, unfortunately. Um, and that's part of the reason that we wanted this new, more formal nomination process where you can ev eventually go on the CMS website, submit codes through a portal, and then CMS will have to respond to those codes. Um, because in the past, you know, we've, um, you know, gone and presented to CMS and it's kind of like, uh, you know, you don't hear back and then it's either, and then it's either in the proposed rule or it's not. Um, and 
anywhere from zero procedures added to, we did have, you know, a couple of years where we got like 17 codes. Those were typically in years where we had like certain specialties that were focused on. So, um, you know, you may remember that a few years ago we had some cardiovascular codes added to our list. So we got 17 codes, I think, um, at that time, um, but they were all within the same, you know, specialty, but it's typically, you know, between, I'd say four to six codes a year. Um, so slow movement, um, unfortunately, but uh, we are, um, like I said, being more pro planning on being more proactive in 2023. We kind of took a little bit of a hiatus um, taking surgeons to meet with CMS medical officers during the pandemic, um, but we are picking that up and uh, resuming that um, in 2023. So, so slow but steady progress. Um, and, it, and it sounds like, hey, at least there's line of sight into a new, more structured, hopefully more visibility uh, nomination process. Until then, you, you mentioned that ASCA is, is, is continuing to help us fill that gap. Um, how, how does ASCA go about determining what you guys put on your recommendation list from a CPT code perspective? Absolutely. Um, so we do a survey um, of our members every year and we ask for um, them to submit codes to us that they would like to be considered. And then uh, we always ask for all of those procedures. We also go to uh, look at the claims data that we have access to for um, private payer um, claims. And we look to see how often those uh, codes are being done in the outpatient setting, both ASCs and hospital outpatient departments. I would argue, hopefully most in our uh, space would argue that in terms of safety and quality, ASCs and hospital outpatient departments are uh, pretty much one in the same. So, you know, we argue consistently to CMS that anything that is allowed to be performed in a hospital outpatient department should also be allowed on the ASC cover procedure list. Um, but it's all um, based on member recommendations. And then in addition to that, we um, will uh, include other uh, procedures that we see that are being done in high volume in case, you know, we just didn't hear from um, those folks, those doctors who are performing, um, you know, other procedures. So it's usually high volume and anything that is requested from membership. Great. Um, and, and the other piece I want to touch on that, that you mentioned was the outcomes data that, that seems to be pretty important um, in, in the CMS decisioning. What, what type of outcome data or outcome tracking have you seemed to be most effective? Because this, this outcome term can mean different yeah. things to different folks, and, and it can be hard in terms of, hey, what really is going to hold up under the scrutiny? It's tough, too, because I think sometimes CMS doesn't even know what it's looking for. Um, we you know, provided them with uh, a couple of research studies in the past two years of rulemaking uh, specific to total shoulder, total ankle, and a spine fusion code. And it was successful two years ago keeping those codes off of going back on the inpatient only list. Um, some listeners may remember that there were huge sweeping changes made during the final year of the Trump administration and then the Biden administration um, in its first year kind of pulled back a lot on those changes. And so they were planning on adding like total shoulder, total ankle, and some spine codes back to the inpatient only list. We were successful keeping those off. 
um, and thought that, you know, the research that we shared was probably compelling and helpful with that. But then when we shared similar research and information, you know, this year uh, or last year for um, 2023 rulemaking, you know, it wasn't as compelling. Um, part of the reason that we need to go meet with CMS is because uh, we want further guidance in terms of what is going to um, move the needle. In the final rule, they said that the data wasn't um, compelling because I guess it wasn't uh, enough volume to look at. And then they also made this weird argument about, you know, is it transferable across all surgery centers? And I didn't exactly understand what that meant. Like, you know, an eye center is not going to all of a sudden start doing total shoulder surgery. Um, but anybody who's already doing total joint replacements, you know, I have full confidence um, in our facilities that those who are doing total joint replacements are safe and effective and could add total shoulder uh, Medicare volume to that mix. So, um, like I said, it's it's kind of unclear what exactly they want. Um, and of course, you know, the outcomes data for each type of procedure varies. Um, you know, so for a lot of these joint replacements, they're looking to see, um, you know, infections. Um, they're looking to see, um, you know, was there a follow depending on the surgery, was there a follow up required? Um, so, you know, really any data that um, that we get our hands on, we share with CMS because um, anything is better than better than nothing. And like I said, it's still kind of unclear to us um, based on the responses that we've gotten from them in previous meetings, what exactly they're looking for. Sure. Okay. Well, well, shifting gears on you a little bit on maybe more of a kind of positive glasses half full perspective, the ruling from my understanding does include some complexity adjustments uh, for certain code code combinations, I believe. Can you explain what the policy does um, you know, and, and talk about the benefit of that for the industry? Sure, absolutely. So this was a big win for um, ASCs and a good um, starting point for this policy. So for hospital outpatient apartments, for some time, um, they've had this complexity adjustment. So CMS takes the you know primary surgical code that's being done and then an add-on code that's done in conjunction with that, and they bump up you know the reimbursement rate um, because they're saying that the add-on code um, changes the complexity and the cost of performing that procedure. So typically, um, for every you know run-of-the-mill case, um, add-on codes are not separately payable. Um, they're their N1 payment indicator, and there's no additional reimbursement available. But um, CMS has found, like I said, these code combinations for 2023. There are 55 of them in the ASC setting for which the add-on is going to, um, you know, increase that reimbursement for ASCs. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a start. There are certainly other code combinations we're looking to get added. There's not really a ton of spine on there. And we know for a fact that there are a lot of spine um, code combinations with an add-on that, you know, certainly are more complex and costlier. So one example I've been giving is removal of thyroid. So the primary code is uh, 60240, and there's often an add-on with that um, 60512 um, that would typically not be uh, reimbursed under under the 2022 and you know prior Medicare policies. Um, but CMS has found that when those codes are done in combination, it's costlier and more complex. And so now this new um, C code that CMS has established is 
C7555, and it has a reimbursement rate of around 4200 So basically an increase of, you know, $1,700, $1,800 because of, you know, the, those codes being done in combination. So um, ASCA is going to put out more resources. We also have some already available on our website, so you can see which code combinations are already, um, you know, going to get this um, new complexity adjustment. Um, but as I said, we're really going to be pushing for a lot more code combinations in the future, um, specifically in the spine um, area. Great. Sounds like some, something we can build on. Yes. Uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about quality reporting? And I understand there's a linkage sure. between Medicare's quality reporting and, and payments. And, and can you tell me a little bit about how that how that linkage works and what the implications are? Sure. Um, so I don't know if everybody um, who's listening realizes this, but um, updates to our quality reporting program are always found in our payment rule because there could be a 2% penalty if you fail to uh, report under the ASC quality reporting program. So um, in this year's final rule, there weren't a ton of significant changes. Um, you know, we did um, kind of push back um, ASC 11, which is this cataract um, improvement in patients' visual function within 90 days measure. It's one that we've been um, push advocating against, I guess you would say, for almost a decade now because it's really a physician measure. It's not a facility level measure. Um, and so we'll continue to push back on that. Um, but I did just want to let everyone know as a reminder that uh, we have a few outcomes measures that are um, back in our quality reporting program as of uh, 2023 data collection. So um, ASC 1 through 4, they were, you know, the first measures that were added to our program back in 2012 when it was um, first initiated. Um, so burns, falls, wrong events, and hospital transfers. Um, just a reminder that you have to collect data for those again. And I know we've, we've been getting a lot of questions at ASCA, so you know you might get a lot of questions too. Um, it is not claims-based anymore. So you used to submit those on your fee-for-service Medicare claims. That's no longer the case. Now you're collecting that data for all of your patients, and then you'll be submitting it uh, through the web-based portal that CMS has uh, next May. So just you know, wanted to remind everyone on that. I know we've been getting a lot of questions, so I'm guessing that um, you might be getting some questions as well. Absolutely, fantastic. Um, anything else from a final ruling perspective, from a kind of macro topic perspective that our listeners should be aware of or keep an eye on? I think it's just always important to know that, you know, it, we are a small cog in, you know, this larger um, machine and, um, you know, really there's a lot of discussions and rumblings happening right now about uh, a complete overhaul and more significant changes to the Medicare program. I've talked with a lot of folks at CMS about this and I would love to be part of those discussions because I think that there are definitely improvements that could be made. Um, but, you know, I was just listening to the MedPAC uh, meeting a few weeks ago and, uh, I think that they said that we are 0.5% of the Medicare spend ASCs are. So, you know, although we think, you know, obviously there are you know, 6,100 6, CMS certified ASCs and we're saving Medicare, you know, billions of dollars a year, but we're still a very small piece of the puzzle. Um, but I think that we, um, you know, do a good job at ASCA, even, even though we're 
um, a small piece of the Medicare puzzle, you know, kind of uh, um, hitting above our weight or, you know, getting a lot of, um, you know, positives for our industry. So, um, well, love it and appreciate appreciate all that you do and, and all ASCA does on on behalf of the industry. Um, Kira, fi- final question for you, and, and we ask this for for all of our guests every week. What what's one thing our listeners can do this week over the near term to improve their surgery centers? Okay, it's a little self serving, um, but ASCA is uh, hosting our first fly in in three years, um, and. I would say, you know, if at all possible, if you can come and participate in our, you know, fly-in, also known as our National Advocacy Day, you know, really that's how you're going to help make an impact not only for your facility, but the industry as a whole um, is getting in front of your elected officials and, you know, telling them your story and how great you are. Um, That's how we really get through to them. Um, If that's not feasible, I would say, you know, host a facility tour and bring folks in, you know, I would, I'm not a clinical person and I could never give advice on, you know, how to run your surgery center. I'm also not, you know, a business person in that sense, but, um, you know, what we do hear from elected officials who, you know, go to bat for us in Congress uh, or in your states is that really hearing your story, what you're doing and all of the great care you're providing is, you know, really what resonates with them and gets them to either sign on to our legislation or help you know, push different, um, wins for the industry. So that's, that's my plug. I, you know, I'd love for you all to bring people into your facilities or come to DC if you have the ability. And for folks that are interested in learning more about the fly-in day and and what that entails, uh, where, where can they get some information on that? Sure. You can uh, reach out to me. Uh, you can go to our website, um, ASCAssociation.org. Um, and you can like, like I said, feel free to reach out to me, follow us on all the social media platforms. Uh, we have more information there as well. Fantastic. Kira, thanks so much for joining us today. Yep. Thank you. As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Our first story of the new year comes from Becker's ASC Review. With the end of the year comes a bunch of articles recapping 2022 and looking ahead to the new year, and this article is the latter. Becker's published a write-up titled Five Trends ASCs Need to Know in 2023, and here's the scoop. Trend number one is value-based care. With low-cost, high-quality procedures, ASCs are set up for success as healthcare transitions to this payment model. ASCs have always offered high-quality results, so this payment model will bode well for the industry. In minutes from Optum's investor meeting in October, they shared that their revenue per consumer has grown 31%, and they attribute that success to the increasing number of patients served under value-based care relationships. And if you do look at their minutes um, and you do a quick search for value-based care, you'll see that that term comes up over a dozen times, which is very telling. Trend number two is physician pay cuts. Medicare's physician fee schedule final rule will reduce the conversion factor by 4.48%, which is down to $33.06. There have been concerns that the cut will push physicians away from ASCs and to larger health systems and will also lead to declining availability of physician services. 
Trend number three is staff shortages. Now, this is not news to anybody. This is one of the largest concerns for ASCs right now. We've we've talked about it a couple times. Um, There's unfortunately no secret solution here as you can't cut corners with hiring qualified staff. Um, And VMG Health shared that many ASCs uh, will have to spend a quarter or more of their net operating revenue on employees alone as we look to next year. So focus on satisfaction and retention and recruitment as much as you can. Trend number four is physician ownership. If there are employed physicians at your ASC that are not currently stakeholders, you might want to consider including them. This will incentivize all physicians who work with you to not only strive for their own day-to-day satisfaction and good pay, but to also strive for the longevity and success of the ASC. And obviously, with more cases comes more revenue and more stability. Trend number five, last but not least, is stagnant reimbursement rates. ASCs are paid much lower rates than hospital outpatient departments for the same exact procedures. So you need to keep a close eye on payer behavior and really build one-on-one relationships with your payers as much as you can. And there you have it. Those are the five trends from Becker's uh, to keep an eye on as we are officially now in the new year. Our next piece of news comes from Outpatient Surgery Magazine, and I personally think this story is really cool. Um, An airport-style security scanner at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics is saving tens of thousands of dollars worth of valuable instruments from accidentally entering the waste stream. After each surgery, bags of trash are removed from the OR, they are run through environmental services, placed on a conveyor belt, and scanned. Each bag is numbered to identify the room and surgery from which it came from, and if the scan detects an instrument, a nurse is called to identify it and process it correctly through the sterile processing department. This idea alone has recovered $35,000 worth of lost instruments in its first nine months. So as we're constantly thinking about ways to reduce waste and save money, this idea checks both of those boxes. Now, I'm not sure how much the conveyor belt cost, but I'd imagine with an average savings of roughly $3,800 per month, it will pay for itself pretty quickly if it hasn't already. Our third story comes from MedCity News, and they put together a piece on seven rules hospitals should follow when adopting new tech, and five of those rules really apply to ASCs as well. If your surgery center is considering adopting new technology in 2023, whether it's patient texting or an EHR or a patient estimating tool, keeping these rules in mind will help you significantly in the implementation process. So first, Planning should begin during the sales process. Work with your vendor to set clear expectations, timelines, implementation plans, any hidden costs, and everything else. Don't hold back with your questions and don't hold back um, pushing your vendor for clear answers until you're comfortable with them. Tip number two, clearly define governance structures. Um, So by this, they mean just organize a leadership team for the project and make sure members of the team have clear roles and responsibilities. Now, that might seem like a no-brainer, but it shouldn't be something that's just assumed. We want this written down um, and everyone needs to buy in. Tip number three is 
always communicate. Everyone involved should have a clear understanding of who's doing what at all times and why they're doing it and create an actual communication plan and provide regular updates. Tip number four is to prioritize stakeholder alignment. Leaders of both your ASC and the vendor must be transparent with each other, express buy-in and commit to success. Without that stakeholder alignment, the whole process could fall out of whack. And the last tip here, training is a necessary investment, and I couldn't agree more. This is a huge one. We just did an episode on nursing informatics, um, which kind of ties in exactly to what this tip is saying. Without proper training, end users usually don't feel comfortable adopting a new technology or won't be satisfied with it. So early on in the tech adoption process, you should designate who is responsible for creating and delivering training materials and assign power users to each department. Without those power users and without proper training, the care you're receiving, the care patients are receiving could be impacted and patient safety could be impacted. So make sure you invest in training. And to end our new segment on a positive note, Dr. Steve Lomay saved two lives during a half marathon recently. Dr. Lomay was running the marathon himself when he saw Gregory Gonzalez, a fellow runner, fall and hit his head. He immediately began CPR until an ambulance arrived. Then at the finish line, another fellow runner, Michael Heilman, also fell and hit his head, and the same chain of events occurred. Dr. Lomay began CPR until an ambulance arrived. Both men ultimately had blockages that led to their cardiac arrest, and they received stents in their coronary arteries and are perfectly fine, um, and the three men plan to run the half marathon together in 2023. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.